Welcome to the Tweet Trends Podcast. Hey, Yvette, what's trending today? Hey, I'm Yvette. Hey, girl. And you are tuned into Tweet Trends. It's the quickest way to find out what's trending today. Today's interview is with Michelle Hope, a dedicated sexologist, educator, and activist. With September being Sexual Health Month, what better time to sit down and have some tough conversations? Let's get started. For anybody that's listening, if you don't know who Michelle Hope is, then dog it, go check out her TEDx, check out her website, check out her IG, check her out because when she says that she is an unapologetic sexpert, she's telling you the truth. That's what she for real, for real is. When you say, because you know, some people who don't know me, they hear unapologetic sexologist and they only think about the act of sex. I, I really focus to drill it into people. My saying is this, from the womb to the tomb, sexuality is a part of your everyday life. And, and again, that, that's, it, it, sexuality is a part of what makes us human. Um, it is a part of our holistic humanity and our existence as humans. A friend of mine and I, we had a conversation and um, our girls were maybe about two or three getting ready to go into preschool. And so it was like, we want to give them the language that they need to be able to tell us something if something happens because yeah. we're not going to be around them all the time. I think, you know, there are certain things you should teach at certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that zero to five is a really important time to start naming body parts and building in body autonomy mm-hmm. so that their body is their choice. If a child needed to blow their nose or you needed to clean your child's eyes, you wouldn't be like, come here, let me, let me clean your hoo-ha for the nose. So we shouldn't be giving inaccurate body part names to body parts. It just needs to be what it is. A vagina, a vulva, a, 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 a butthole, an anus, a penis, your scrotum, your balls, um, and your breasts, your nipples, and really kind of putting those words in because if something does happen, Children need to be able to use accurate language. Um, God forbid something happened, though. Right. Well, and that was the conversation my husband and I had because I was like, because my friend was saying she was she was torn between the pocketbook and the flower, and I was God, like, no, stop right there. I know that was a visceral reaction, but I want to make it very clear to your friend, to you, for you to tell your friend and all your friends' friends, never a pocketbook. Because now what we're doing is we're associating a monetary value on a body part. And while it doesn't seem like very much now when they're children, we have to understand how the brain learns. Brains learn by building upon base knowledge. If the base knowledge you're giving a child is a pocketbook for their genitalia, that is the foundation. And then from there, all the messages, and you have to remember, not all those messages are going to come from you. They're going to come from music and television and what they see in the streets and what they hear in the streets and what other little badass kids in kindergarten is saying to them. So it's important, never, never, never a monetary item. Never. I know that some people might be like, well, damn, she really kind of came out of pocket there. But it's important. And when they have that association, 
it becomes hard to disassociate when they become older. When we think about what it takes to really do a great job at educating youth around sexuality, not just the genital act, but also things like gender identity, gender expression, body image, how we feel in our bodies, our communication skills, our understanding of consent. That takes way more than just HIV education or pregnancy prevention or risk reduction. There are so many nuanced things that go without context when it comes to sexuality because we lack quality sex education in the U.S. What can we do as parents to advocate for our kids to get the schools to do a better job? I'm so glad you asked. Well, it is an election year. You need to become familiar with, you know, not just our presidential election, but also down-ballot candidates. Who is, on, who is going to the Senate on behalf of, like, like, what constituency are you a part of? And what does that person believe about reproductive rights? So you can start there. Right now, because people are getting ready to run for local elections, call them, ask them, what are your views on sex education in schools? You can Google all kinds of data to find out how there is a direct correlation between um, sex education, sexuality, and academic outcomes especially around like sexual behavior and onset of first experience with sexual behavior and academic outcomes. There is a lot of data out there. Furthermore, we know that there is data that talks about academic achievement in specific communities and um, how that connects to the pipeline to prison. I want to be very clear that sexuality permeates not just genitals and bedrooms, but also classrooms. When we start to look at how Young black girls are oftentimes adultified in the eyes of their white school teachers or white administrations at the school. Um, and we know that black girls experience nationwide, I think this number is about 2.5 times the dress code infractions that their white counterparts receive. And that is a part of the adultification of young black girls, as well as the hypersexualization of black women's bodies, black and brown women's bodies, direct coercion. So you have to become an individual. And if you are not a parent, you also need to be aware of what's going on in the school in your local community. We have to get back to the basics with the idea that it takes a village to raise a child. And if you live in a community with a school, especially a high school, you probably should know what their graduation rates are. And if they're not good, you need to contact whoever you need to contact, whether you are a parent or not, because that impacts your community. There is research done that communities that have higher graduation rates of high school have lower incidence of violent crime. And until we can start to recognize how sexuality in its holistic fashion permeates all aspects of our lives, we can't start to make a change. So as, as parents, as community members, you should find out who's running for school super, like school superintendent, and you ask, what sex education programs do you have? And if they're like, well, we don't need one because we're elementary, you then say, what type of inclusionary practices do you have for family members and students who may identify as LGBTQ plus, okay? How are we teaching inclusion, diversity, and acceptance of diversity? How are we teaching tolerance in our schools? Right. This is important, 
right? Right. Yeah. Um, it is important for us. Again, I'll say it. Who protects us? We protect us. And that means as a member of a community, it is your responsibility that all students get the opportunity to have equal access to education. And if there are students, and trust me when I say it, again, almost 18 years in education, there are students in elementary who are already feeling as though they may identify as being attracted to the same sex. How do we keep the school safe for them? Because if the school is not safe for them, then it's really not safe for your heteronormative child either. This is a part of our everyday life. Everything revolves around our sexuality. And, but we somehow managed to skirt around that and, you know, duck and dodge and hide and pretend. Well, I think that the reason we duck and dodge it is because most of us have trauma. And trauma in the space of sexuality doesn't necessarily have to do with touch or you've been assaulted. It could be as simple as you hit puberty before everybody else in your grade and your voice started cracking way early or you had bigger breasts than everybody, or you had one breast that was much larger than the other breast, and so you were made fun of, or you had thick thighs, or you got stretch marks too soon. So it could be, or you were, like me, I was raised in the Catholic church. And so there was a lot of shame around sex or any kind of sexual anything. And I know that in black communities, my experience has been this, what you said earlier, this kind of prude type of, you know, we, we, we don't talk about that. We don't, that's the, you, you better be prim and proper, but what we have to remember, and here's the kicker, this is all rooted in white supremacy. And we don't think about it like that. You think about um, Africa and you think about breasts are exposed in a lot of tribes. Um, men are wearing loincloths, totally normal. There is this inclusion of multiple wives and multiple like, lovers and there's not a lot of question so what we have allowed to happen is that we have allowed our oppressor to indoctrinate us into a way that we now oppress each other the psychology behind it is so deep and so deeply rooted into white supremacy and and the dominance of white people for example a part of the reason your parents never had a conversation with you about your body or about puberty is because their parents didn't and their parents didn't and it was goes back to this idea you have to be connected to the church you can't show skin you can't but that is because black women have been overly sexually objectified since we were brought here we talk about how black people you know, built this nation on their backs. I will challenge you and say, black women birthed this nation through their hips in so many ways. And when your body has been hypersexualized as a breeder, a use um, a, as a sex object for the master, a way for science to push forward in things like gynecology because you were used as an experimental subject, it becomes fearful almost for us to have conversations about sexuality to give our young daughters confidence in their sexuality because forever we have been hypersexualized and when your body just going through puberty or previous to puberty becomes hypersexualized the very uttering of the word vagina or period becomes a bad thing 
so that we don't talk about periods, we don't talk about fibroids, we don't talk about breast cancer, because those body parts have been so exploited and hypersexualized by white supremacy. And that's just female. <laughs> like, I got a whole other situation for men because we're not talking about the sexual assault that occurs to young black boys in our community. Instead, we have somehow normalized this idea that older women getting with younger black men is some sort of crossing over into manhood. And so we don't allow a space for men to be vulnerable enough to say this happened to me and it hurt. So they become more callous. And I prospect that they then struggle with this idea of consent. Now, question for you. What is a topic uh, revolving around sexual health that you think people need to talk about more? There needs to be more discussion on it. All of it. But if I had to, <laughs> but if I had to um, like probably boil it down and I kind of, I think, again, I think all of it is important because we have to normalize the conversation, right? Consent and set, like, they're dark topics. That's why I just usually say everything, just so we can, like, have some levity sometimes. But the, 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 the idea of consent and experiencing sexual violence or sexual assault and what that is and what that's not, especially for cisgendered, heteronormative men of color, is... I worry about that because I can, uh, my trained eye sees a lot, even when, you know, people are trying to hide it. Mm -hmm. And we just have to find ways to have those conversations. I heard you talking about, um, I want to say it was during, uh, the time period that you were bartending where you said that you had met this guy and he was, you had a conversation with him and then he saw you on the street and thanked you oh, yes. because him and his friends got together and had that discussion about how they had treated women when they were in college. What did you say to him to get that kind of response? Because I need to have that conversation with a lot of people. It wasn't just one conversation. It was numerous. Like it was, and that's why I said, when you asked me, what's the one thing we could talk about? Just talk about sexuality, generally speaking. Because what will happen is naturally, the more conversations you have and the more you normalize those conversations, the easier, more difficult conversations will be. Wow. Well, this conversation has been fascinating. Thank you again for agreeing to come on the show and have a little sexual health talk for the month. And we're definitely going to keep these conversations going. If you would, can you share how people can reach you? Absolutely. You can follow me on all social media sites um, at MHSexpert. So Michelle Hope, Sexpert, MHSexpert. My website, www.MHSexpert. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Yes. And you got, oh, hold on now. Uh, IG, just a tip Tuesday. Oh, yes. I forgot. How do I forget Just the Tip Tuesday? Every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. I also have a YouTube channel. And, you know, just kind of keep an eye on me because I'm here. 
that was today's episode of Tweet Trends. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you were at all intrigued by the conversation that Michelle and I had, what I'd like for you to do now is to head on over to YouTube and look up Hey Yvette. Yes, that's right. I have a brand new YouTube channel. So check it out and you can find today's entire interview right there. So check it out. Or, you know, as usual, you can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at HeyEvette, that's at H-E-Y-E-V-E-T-T-E, or just look for the hashtag Tweet Trends. I hope you have a great day, and I will see you back here again on Thursday.